0: Okay, now we have been standing, we've been sitting. I want you to stand one more time, but I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Pastor Jeff will be with us next week. Um, He'll be with us Thursday. He'll be with us Sunday morning. He will be with us Sunday evening. And I am just honored to be able to uh, be a part of the team and be able to share tonight. Genesis chapter 37. This is an extraordinary study And I'm fired up about it. Uh, Genesis 37. Of course, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you're here for the first time, it's all the way to the left, right? Genesis 37. We're going to read here verse 1 down to verse 10. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of, can someone tell me, Jacob or This is the history of Israel, actually, we could say. We'll talk about that a little bit. Joseph, being 17 years of age, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Whenever uh, this term bad report is used in Scripture, it generally speaks of a false report. In verse 3 it says, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Verse 6, so he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. And there were... Binding sheaves in the field, and then, behold, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around, and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Are you, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, Okay. Genesis chapter 50, and I want you to note here, beginning in verse 18, we're actually looking at the bookends of Joseph's life, which we're going to be studying tonight. Verse 18, chapter 50. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Verse 19, Joseph said to him, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about to this day to save many people alive. Can I hear a big amen to that? Okay, we can go home now. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, there you go, chapter 37 through 50. You may have a seat at this time. Hey, the title of the message is, It May Not Be What You Think It Is. It may not be what you think it is. I heard a story about a father. He loved his son so much. His son was the apple of his eye. And he wanted his son to grow in wisdom. He wanted his son to grow with a sense of confidence in life, with a sense of liberty. You see, his son was actually born blind. And every year, starting about eight years of age, he would pick a time of the year. And he, he wanted his son to experienced some new experiences, some new challenges to develop his confidence. Uh, And it was going great. When he turned 14, his dad said, look, this is what I want you to do, son. I want you to put up the shutters, you know, in the windows there of our home. And his son was like, dad, that's just way too much. I mean, to, to require me to put the shutters up in our home over the windows and so forth. But his dad stood his ground. And his son was successful, but it was difficult. A few weeks later, tragically, his dad died. And of course, the whole family is reeling over this. But his son was so upset with his dad because he had put him through that unique uh, trial, that unique challenge, that he didn't speak for for a few days. And so he was feeling extra terrible. And he said to his mom, Mom, you know what? I just can't believe Dad required me to put the shutters up and stuff. I was so mad at him. I didn't talk to him for a few days. And she said to him, Son, what what you didn't see was that your father never left you. He was always just a few feet away. Now imagine if I told you that the greatest reality in your life the greatest reality in life itself is not based upon what you feel or what you see. I mean, in the story, did the son see his dad? No. Did he feel his dad? No. Was his dad there? You bet. Like if I asked you, hey, you know, what's going on in your life? I mean, how are you doing? And you say, look, be frank with you, it's kind of crazy. What do you mean by that? Well, there's some uh, relational conflict going on. That's not easy. It's always a bummer. Someone else might say, you know what, to be frank with you, I'm just having some intense mental anguish. That's a bummer too. Somebody else might say, you know, I just lost a job. Or in midst transition, things are hard at this time. And if we're honest with ourselves, when those times are taking place, a lot of times we feel disoriented. And you may feel that way tonight. To the extent that what you're thinking in your mind is, I'm not so sure. God is competent. And actually being good. Is He really innately good? I mean, is He really present? Is He really working all things out for the good in my life? It leads us to a big idea that I want to introduce. You know, we just read, actually, little excerpts in Joseph's life. We're going to learn about Joseph tonight. One of the great stories in the Bible. In fact, I'm convinced that when Jesus left Jerusalem... After he had resurrected, and he had a discussion with the disciples on the road to Emmaus who were so disheartened because they believed he was the Messiah, but they were reeling because he had been crucified. They didn't realize he had resurrected at this time. He met them. And he explained the Tanakh. He explained the Old Testament. How the Old Testament speaks of him. And I'm convinced, actually... He clearly spoke of Joseph. We're going to learn Joseph is a preview of the person and work of Jesus as well as your life in so many ways as well. But look, we just read, watch this, that his father favored him. His father gave him a coat. Um, His father loved him. Joseph had these dreams of having unique influence in his family. You tracking so far with that? And then we jump to chapter fifty and there's some discussion going on and someone is speaking and it's actually joseph and he's speaking to his brothers and and he makes reference there's been some injury you know you meant it for evil but god meant it for the good so you look at the beginning of his life and you look at the end of his life we're going to be talking about it to be all the more clear in just a little bit but let me just tell you something if you're a christian there has been a confirmation in your life that the Father in heaven has actually robed you. He's actually chosen you to be in Christ where you have a relationship based on unconditional love. Can I hear a big amen to that? Once you have the assurance of that, please listen, once you have the confirmation of that and His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, the Bible says, you have a guarantee That your end is going to be extraordinary. Because the Bible says those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. The question becomes, and this is the big challenge in life, is how we view the middle part of our life. Because as believers, I have the assurance the Father chose me before the foundation of the world. He robed me, if you will, positionally in Christ. I am favored by Him. And once He does that, He has a guarantee in my life that the end is going to be extraordinary. I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be with Him forever and ever. Here's the challenge, though. The challenge is the middle part of our lives. What we need to learn is to allow the beginning reality How we are secure in Christ and the ending reality of the completed work of Jesus in our life to inform the middle part of our lives. That's absolutely critical. Do you know what the alternative is? The alternative is that we base reality in our life, what's really going on based upon our feelings or what we can comprehend in the moment. So, hey, if we're feeling good, then it must be good. And if we're feeling bad, then it must be bad. We base reality on feelings. And here's the thing that you have to understand. Feelings have never told us the truth about who God is. Our feelings can catch up with the awesomeness of who He is. But the basis of truth, the basis of reality far exceeds our feelings or what we can comprehend in the moment. I mean, listen, I wake up in the morning. Sometimes I feel good. Other times I'm not feeling that good, you know, or I'm just, you know, trying to wake up. And this is what our mornings look like. I'm not saying you have to do this, but something I get up, my precious bride and I, and we get to the foot of our bed and we pray. I jump in the shower. She makes me coffee. Thank you. Okay, so if have been doing that for all, many years, I go out in the kitchen, I sit down, I have my Bible, I have my journal, and I have this killer cup of coffee, first pour and I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm just kind of waking up, right? And sometimes I'm not feeling that good. And then I have about the fifth, se- fifth sip of that coffee, and it feels like the Holy Spirit has descended upon me, okay? I'm just telling you. It's like all of a sudden I have this renewed sense of confidence and optimism and outlook for the day. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit did not fall upon me because I was drinking coffee and I was enjoying the caffeine The good news is in Christ, the Holy Spirit has already been not only in me, but He is always gifting and empowering me. That's the reality. I mean, here's the thing. You don't want to base your identity. You don't want to base reality off of your feelings where they become the unquestioned, unassailable bastions of individual truth and identity. There's a real big problem with that. Because our feelings never tell us the truth about who God is and really who we are in Him. And it sets us in a terrible trajectory. Hey, the greatest reality in life is not based on what you see or you feel. It's beyond that. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith is being informed by the truth of who God is and who we are in the Lord. And, and when we do that now, we are seeing reality for what it really is. Here, here's, that's the big point. Now we're going to study Joseph's life. Here's the thing about Joseph. You study his life and you see that. You're going to see he has a lot of ups and downs. But behind the scenes, there's a greater reality taking place. He's favored. Their Lord has a purpose for His life. It's going to end extraordinarily. We're also going to see it's a preview of the person work of Jesus. And we're also going to see how it speaks to each of us in such a big way in our lives as well. Look back in verse 1. Check this out. It says, Jacob dwelt in the land. We're in chapter 37 now. Go back to chapter 37. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. As I said, we could read that this is the history of Israel. Like if you're here for the first time or maybe you're new to the Bible, this is like killer to to understand. Watch this. Okay, when you think of Israel, you need to think of a person in history, a great patriarch of ethnic Israel, patriarch Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Then you need to think of a people who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we think of them as the Jews, ethnic Israel. Then you need to think of a specific piece of real estate, also the land of Israel. Like when our, when our church went to Israel, it was like they were, they were thinking, okay, we're not so much going to be around 7 million ethnic Jews. I mean, that's awesome. But that's not primarily what they're thinking. They're thinking we're going to a piece of real estate that is called Israel. So here's the thing. I just want you to read. I want you to read verse 2 as, this is the history of Israel. This is the history of Israel. And notice it focuses in, the next word in verse 2 is Joseph. The focus now is on one of the descendants of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, Joseph. And the reason why, we're going to learn, It's because he plays a critical role in Israel's history. I'm going to tell you something. If there's no Joseph, there is no Israel. And if there's no Israel, there's no Messiah. And if there's no Messiah, there's no Savior. And if there's no Savior, there's no hope. This is a critical juncture in understanding, actually, the Bible. And check out in verse 2. We're introduced to Joseph at the age of 17. His life began as a simple shepherd boy. In verse 2 and 3, his father had many wives. Now, that's always a mess. Let me just tell you right up front. For someone to have multiple wives at once is always a mess. And so, if you read the Old Testament and you think, these guys had multiple wives, it's always a mess. It's terrible. And the fact that he's actually showing favoritism towards Joseph, that's not good as well. We're going to see that the grace of God and the love of God and the providential hand of God is going to overwhelm these major idiosyncrasies. But you have Jacob, and we don't have time to develop. He, his, he is the son, along with Benjamin, of Rachel. And Jacob just totally loved Rachel. But his dad gave him this coat, you know, the coat of many colors. And it's a long-sleeved coat. It's not the garb of the working man in the fields, like his brothers. It'd be like, hey, there's little brothers showing up in a tuxedo or something. And they resented this in a big way. In type, this is your life in Christ, though. Because as a believer from eternity, the Father has loved you. You have been robed in Christ. The Bible says even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. At the end of our service tonight, I want to give an opportunity for anyone here tonight so that they have the assurance that they've been robed, if you will. But there's a parallel here we're seeing. Joseph was favored. He was robed by his Father. We've been favored in Christ by our Heavenly Father Uh, Before anything was ever created. Can I hear a big amen to that? But check this out. Joseph's brothers hated Joseph. Not only because their father showed special favoritism. But because there's evidence here that Joseph as a young man was perhaps a bit dishonest. Maybe even shallow. But still it's no excuse to how they treated their brother. And this is important. If you jump down to verse 19, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to have to kind of pick our shots here tonight. In verse 19 and verse 20, there's behind-the-scenes plot actually to murder Joseph and to cover it up. And the older brother Reuben steps up and diverts the plan. And then in verse 22, instead they devised to throw him into a pit, but first stripped him of his coat. And then in verse 24, they threw him in a cistern with no water. And chapter 42 tells us that their little brother was crying out in this cistern, and they did not respond, in fact, what they did, once they threw him in the cistern, this pit I mean, this'd be terrifying. is they then had lunch as their brother's crying out. And then it tells us in verse 25, down to verse 28, the brothers sell Joseph into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt. Now, look up here for a second. Let me tell you something. It's one thing in a relationship where there is failing taking place, or you have a loved one who fails you. It's another thing for someone to betray you. Because the reality is, we're going to fail each other. In other words, we're not perfect, we make mistakes, we miscommunicate. We're not intending to harm each other. Betrayal is an intentional wounding. It is an exploitation of a trust. It's like, hey, little brother, come on over here. We want to talk to you. And it's like, you know, like, we're going to beat him up, strip his clothing, throw him in this cistern. I mean, this is the worst of betrayal. I'm I'm going to befriend you, but my agenda is to use you. I'm going to tell you that I love you, but I don't really love you. I just want something from you. And you might ask, well, where's the Lord in all of this? I mean, it's not looking good, actually, for Joseph. No, it isn't at this time. And it's not feeling good for him. You better believe it. But let me just say something. There's a greater reality beyond what we can see. Let me tell you, if you speed up history in this very place in Dothan, there's a very interesting experience that Elijah has with his servant as the Assyrians are coming, pressing down upon them, threatening their life. And the servant is freaking out. And it actually takes place at this very, this very place, Dothan, years later. And Elijah says, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prayed, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes. And the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. In other words, it's like his servant is like, oh my goodness gracious, we're toast. Elijah's saying, let me tell you, there's a greater reality behind the scenes. Like the Lord is with us. Oh Lord, open my servant's eyes. And he did. It's like, whoa, the Lord is with us. Here's, here's what's happening tonight is that the Lord is opening our eyes and opening the eyes of history to the fact that the one who is going to be betrayed, Joseph, rejected and abandoned is going to become the Savior actually of the family. You don't see that at this time. But that's what's actually taking place. You say, man, I mean... You know, Elijah was rescued. Yeah, he was. He was rescued physically. And Joseph is like, it doesn't feel good for him. No, it doesn't. It doesn't look good for him. No, it doesn't at all. But, but our eyes are going to be open tonight that the Lord actually is going to use this betrayal and use this intentional wounding. It's like he's going to get his boy down in Egypt. We're going to see this unfold. And actually, Joseph is going to be the Savior, not only of Israel, He's actually going to be the savior of the region of the world at that particular time. And it could be said, please hear this, that, you know, it's one thing to rescue someone physically, but it's something entirely different to experience a rescue spiritually. The rescue of a person's soul, that is much more complex. You know, I came to faith when I was 16 years of age. And there was a clear process that the Lord, I could look back, I could see him running me down and opening my eyes to who he is. And my brother told me, he said, Greg, you know, Jesus said you're either for me or against me. And there's really no middle ground. You need to make a decision. And, and that really kind of scared me, but in a good way. And there were other things that were taking place in my life. And I, and I came under like monster conviction, which is a good thing, of sin. The greatest of which was I was keeping Jesus himself outside the door of my life. But, hey, listen, to be frank with you, I was also convicted on how I treated my mom. You say, you know, is that, that's all your testimony. It's like you just didn't treat your mommy that good, you know, and stuff. Well, I say that's worse than smoking pot. I mean, I was like man, I mean, here's this most beautiful human being. I don't think he's ever thought a bad thought towards me. He's only nurturing care of me. But I was like, just an idiot kid who needed a Savior. Here's my point, though. I mean, I'm 53 now. And I am so grateful for the grace and the love of God that has continued to work in my life. I did not realize the extent of the rescue that needed to take place in my life. And continues to, the need to take place. The point is, as you look at Joseph, I mean, it's not looking good, it's not feeling good, but behind the scenes, the Lord is working in a big way. And there's going to be a type of resurrection, if you will, because he's going to be lifted up out of that pit. And he's going to end up becoming this incredible influence to his own family in the known world. We're going to get to it just a little bit. But let me just tell you something. You're going to be injured in life. We all have been injured. Maybe a divorce, maybe a confidence broken, maybe slander, physical challenges. Here's what we see in Joseph. We're going to gonna, gonna see it very clearly in just a little bit that he ends up getting this second chance. It's clear even though he's been pulled out of this pit and rescued, if you will. Well, he's sold into slavery. He's going to get a second chance. In fact, just turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 39. A man by the name of Potiphar takes an interest in him as he's brought down to Egypt. But it's very clear that while he was taken out of this pit, that he did not remain like psychologically in that place of injury. He moved on from it. And so let me just say, it's possible though that someone can be injured but they're not moving from that injury. When we're injured, we have a choice. It's either going to be like a victim's mentality where even though we may not be in the similar circumstances, we're out of the vet, but we're allowing the injury to continue to pull us down or we're going to, choose a christian mentality if you will and allow for new beginnings in our life and i got to tell you some people some people just kind of like to party in the pit if you will and i've been injured and you know it's, it it ends up paralyzing their progress to move forward and if you got in an inner dialogue they're just they're kind of individuals i'd say you know no one says hello to me or you know my boss doesn't treat me You know, well, and hey, look, um, it's obviously speaking of pain. And we ought to be empathetic. But the good news is we all still have a choice when there's been an injury in our life. We do not have to remain in the pit, if you will. One person said we cannot change our past, and we cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me, 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Hey, Joseph ended up getting up. He gets the second chance. Check this out in chapter 39, verse 1. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper. So Joseph found favor in his sight. He served him, then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had put under his authority. Hey, clearly Potiphar was a man of influence in Egypt. Some believe that he had to do something with the military. Maybe he's some type of general of sorts. Uh, you have Potiphar who takes an interest in Joseph, purchases him, gives him a second chance to serve, to make a difference, and Joseph takes advantage of it. Hey, look! There's a little parallel here to our lives. Well, if I could just quickly say, we're all going to experience injury. Thank God, we still have a choice. Whether or not we're going to stay in that pit or move on, can I hear a big amen to that, right? Then there's going to come a time, like Potiphar, where the Lord's going to take an interest in us. He's going to redeem us. He's going to allow for a new allegiance. He's going to like, bring a major chiropractic adjustment to our life and to our vertical aspect of our life, bringing wholeness and relationship with Him. And we see this taking place in Joseph's life but check this out even though he's been redeemed he has this killer second chance the next scene beginning in verse 7 in chapter 39 is he faces radical temptation temptation is a form of enticement there's a lure there's bait but behind it there's a hook and it's always best to turn away from the lure than to struggle with the hook. And temptation is really an enticement to step away from your conscience, which accuses or excuses your actions. It's a moral apparatus the Lord's given us, or it's an enticement to step away from original design, maybe in relationships. Or to step away from like the Lord's word and his will for our lives. But here's the thing. I mean, just as we're seeing Joseph here, he faces radical temptation. Where you have, and we'll read it in just a moment, you have Potiphar's wife who basically throws herself on him. So you have this incredible sexual temptation. But let me just say, it speaks to all of us. Here's the reality even though you're a believer, and I know you know this, you're still going to face temptation of all kinds. That's what we're seeing with Joseph. Let's read it and get the narrative. Verse 7, that tells us, that it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater than in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. None of the men in the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled. And what's the next word you guys want to tell me? Ran. He ran outside. Good job. And so it was. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of the house, spoke to him, saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, And that he left his garment with me and fled, went outside. And so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Hey, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the reality, we're all going to be tempted. You know, I think there was a time, as a believer, I thought, you know, there's going to come a time that temptation is no longer going to be an issue in my life. There's no longer going to be some enticement to step out of conscience, some enticement to step out of original dying. All of us are going to experience some form of temptation the rest of our lives. Aren't you glad you came here tonight to hear that? Here's a few things you need to do. Just jot this down. Very, very important. Number one, hey, your eyes are critical, particularly when it comes to sexual temptation. You know, Job said he had made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon a young woman in a sensual way. It's been said your eyes are the window to your soul. So be disciplined with your eyes. Number two, your thoughts are critical. Here's the thing. This is a very important distinction. Here's the thing about our thoughts. We can't control every thought that enters into our mind, but we can control whether or not we cultivate those thoughts. It's true. Just like I can't control whether a bird flies over my head or not, but I can control whether that bird lands on my head and builds a nest on my head. I can control that. Our thoughts are critical. Who we really are is who we are from the inside out. Our thoughts impact our life even down to the cellular level. We'll reap what we sow. Listen now, your legs are critical dealing with temptation. And remember, temptation is some lure, it's some bait. It looks good. I'm drawn to it. But there's a hook. And there comes a time where you need to use your legs, you need to be decisive, you need to run from it. That's critical. Another thing is prayer or confession. Prayer is critical because it busts compartmentalization in our life. In other words, if there's some compromise going on in my life, if I pray about it and I confess it and I bring it into the light, if I'm asking, Father, help me with this, He will do it for sure. Sin is sneaky. Sin always morphs into worse realities that are self-defeating and ultimately pull us down. How many of you are single? Could you raise your hand real quick? Okay, just keep your hands up real quick. Okay, look around real quick. No, just kidding. That's an old stupid Greg Laurie thing. Okay, Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. If you are single, it's very important to understand what love is. Love nourishes, love protects. The Bible says we need to learn to treat our sisters with all, can someone tell me, purity. Which means that in that premarital relationship, we need to treat the woman and vice versa as a sister or brother in Christ. As a sister or a brother with all purity. And so a good rule of thumb is you want to just, you know, you don't want to touch this person in some sexually compromising way. You never want to put someone you love in a compromising position, physically, emotionally, or sensually. You know what we begin to see, you guys, that in the middle, in the middle of his life, we begin to see that one of the chief purposes that the Lord has for Joseph is to break The cycles of sin and destruction. In other words, basically in verse 9, Joseph was a man who basically said, you know what? The betrayal stops with me. It's like someone injured me, but I'm not going to go around injuring other people. I mean, he could have taken that posture. He could have had that attitude like, You know, my brothers just totally betrayed me. I've given them a second chance, and I have this opportunity to get involved sexually with this woman who's not my wife. But you know what? It's a doggy-doggy type world, and I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to like, you know, people have hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. Think about the impact of sin. In short, sin has the potential to bring everything down. It has to be stopped, and that's what the gospel is about. The Father so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That word perish means to break down, to disintegrate. And as Christians, we need to say it stops with us. Can I hear a big amen to that? That's why the Lord may have you in your family, or in your marriage, or at your particular work. Or where you go to school. He has you there to be a type of Joseph. It's like the craziness, the self-destruction stops with me. That's what we see in the middle of his life. He was injured. He had a second chance. But he was not going to betray others. He was going to honor the Lord. He lived in light of the fact that there's original design. The Lord knows he is with him. He was going to honor him. Ah, we see a great man taking shape. Hey, we need to speed up the story a little bit from the pit to the palace, we learn after this, this sexual temptation that he was accused by Potiphar's wife and he was imprisoned. He was wrongly imprisoned, terrible injustice for many years. And just to abbreviate the story, he got a reputation while he was in prison of being a really wise uh, man who could interpret dreams, uh, who had great judgment. And the Pharaoh heard about him. And the Pharaoh was troubled by a dream that he was having, and he wanted the right interpretation. And they called on Joseph, and Joseph gave the right interpretation, which was basically this that there's a terrible famine coming. In Egypt, I mean, life-threatening famine for seven years. But you have some time to prepare for it. So grow harvests. You know, grow a bunch of silos. you You know, properly manage the grain during the time of plenty so that when the hard times hit, you can survive. Now, this is very important. The pharaoh... Esteems Joseph to basically second in command in Egypt. He becomes the prince of Egypt. And some nine years later, amidst the famine, Joseph's brothers enter Egypt looking for food to survive, and they come face to face with Joseph. And I want us to read this encounter. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 45 tells us in verse 3, Then Joseph, chapter 45, said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God has sent me here before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me here to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so now it was not you who sent me here. But, can someone tell me? God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout the land of egypt hurry and go tell my father and say to him thus says your son god has made me lord of all egypt come down to me do not tarry whoa man is this phenomenal or what okay i mean he's betrayed by his brothers he's rejected by his brothers. he's thrown in a pen he kind of experiences a type of resurrection if he gets a second chance he ends up becoming the prince over egypt the one betrayed, the one rejected, becomes ultimately, this is what we see unfolding, the Savior, not only of Israel, but the world at that particular time in that region. L- let me just tell you something, okay? This is very important. How many of you know Jesus is coming again? And let me just tell you, He comes at the darkest time in human history. Or no, let me put it another way. He actually appears during an incredible famine. That's known as the tribulation. That's also identified as Jacob's trouble. It's a seven-year tribulation. Three and a half years, Antichrist, world prominence, new economic systems and so forth, relative peace, and then this world leader turns against Israel and believers, and it's, it's like hell on earth. And the darkest time in Israel's history, the darkest time in mankind's history, Jesus is coming again. And he is coming as Savior, and he's coming as Judge to bring wholeness and justice and righteousness, and he's coming to rule and reign. And I say that's good news. How about you? In this, you see the peril. It's like a preview of the Lord's life. It's phenomenal. But let me just say this, and this speaks to all of us. Joseph faced a major crossroad here a major cross or whether or not he's going to forgive his brothers or not. And all of us in our life are going to face that crossroad. Do you know that the greatest need that we all have is not only to receive forgiveness, but to give it to others as well? Jesus said, forgive us our debts and we forgive those who trespass against us. And the scriptures say, be kind to one another, tender hearted, Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The greatest need we all have is to receive forgiveness and to give it. But there's a lot of confusion surrounding the issue of forgiveness, and it discourages people. It's important to understand that the Lord calls us to forgive because it's part of our healing. He does not want us under the injury of the injustice, it's critical that we make choices not based on bitterness, not based on hatred, but we make choices based on kindness and gentleness and love. And a part of the healing in our life is not only to receive the Lord's forgiveness as He paid the debt of our sin at the cross, but to give it to others. And I just want to say a few things about forgiveness. Real quick, forgiveness is remembering really how much you've been forgiven. Forgiveness is not never remembering the injustice or the pain, but it's choosing to forget when it comes up and release that person of their debt. It's a choice not based on that it feels good, but it's based on that it is good. And it's repeating the process Over and over and over. And as you do, the Lord strengthens and heals and brings renewal. Hey, if there's terrible violations in a relationship, I mean, can you forgive without, you know, now trusting this person? Yes. Trust is something that it needs to be restored and that takes time. But we are commanded to. Forgive. And you know what we see in Joseph's life that reveals God's purpose for our life as well. That the chief purpose in our life, the chief purpose of the Father for all of us is to grow us more like Christ. And in doing, it's not only a rescue for our own lives, but it brings a healing influence to others as well. Can I hear a big amen to that? I mean, what was happening in Joseph's life? Uh, he was in a radical process of self-denial and renewal. What was the purpose of his life? Man, it was awesome. It was to be, be a healing influence, to be a type of Savior, if you will, to be like Christ, and the same is true with you and I. You know, someone offered this perspective. If Joseph's brothers never sell him to the Midianites, then Joseph never goes to Egypt. And if Joseph never goes to Egypt, he's never sold to Potiphar. And if he's never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape. And if Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape, then he's never put in prison. If he's never put in prison, he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. And if he never meets the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he never interprets their dreams. And if he never interprets their dreams, he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And if he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he's never made prime minister. And if he's never made prime minister, he's never wisely administrates for the severe famine coming upon the region. And if he never wisely administrates for the severe famine coming upon the region, then his family back in Canaan perishes from the famine. And if his family back in Canaan perishes from the famine then the Messiah can't come from a dead family. And if the Messiah can't come forth, then Jesus never came. And if Jesus never came, then we are dead in our sins without hope. It's like, listen, please hear me. There is a greater reality in your life beyond what you feel in the moment. And beyond what you can comprehend. And it is the sovereign, providential, loving hand of our Heavenly Father. And He is awesome. And He is always good. And let me just tell you a few takeaways and we're going to be be done just a little bit. Let me just tell you something. No matter what the injustice has been in your life no matter what the betrayal, if you are robed in in Christ by the Heavenly Father, let me tell you, it will not break you down. He will turn it around and He will perfect His strength in your life. You will not become bitter. You will become better. And if you are robed by the Heavenly Father, the chief aim is to make you more like the Lord Jesus who endured, who ran His race, who did what is right for the sake that it was right. And we are to follow him, enduring as well, finishing, persevering. This life is not a sprint. It's a long endurance run. And he lives in you. Christ does. And he's giving you the power of his resurrection to finish well. And you're going to finish well in Christ. Can I hear a big amen to that? That's what it means to be roamed. It's true. In addition to that, let me just say something. I know some of you are suffering. And that's a bummer. But deep down inside, you're not really looking for answers. Like, you know, let's give me some answers. Give me some answers. Like, you know, what's 2 plus 2? Give me the answers. Chiefly, what you need is the Lord's presence in your life. You need the assurance. You're His child. You're His boy. You're His girl. And just look at Joseph's life. The providential sovereign hand of the Heavenly Father was on him. And I'm telling you, his hand is on you as well. And although you don't understand or see, you stand on what you do know. And that just may be that God will use the challenges that you face today to impact generations to come. He has purposed your life to be bigger than your lifetime here on planet Earth. Listen, we live in such an intoxicated, like consumer-oriented, pathetic culture. And it's like, you know, I just got to get all I can, stuff the can, and then sit on the can. You know, I just got to like, it's like, you know, the one who wins with the most toys, kind of, you know, with... What did I say just then? One who has the most toys wins, you know, at the end of life. Okay, here's the thing. We're just living this consumer culture, right? As if this is it. When the reality is that your life will impact generations, if the Lord did a therapy, will impact generations directly or indirectly. And His purpose in your life is to finish strong. Like Joseph, look at chapter 50. We're almost done. Chapter 50, verse 18, it tells us, then his brothers also went and fell down, chapter 50, verse 18, before his face, and they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, verse 19, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You know, I said earlier that the life of Joseph is actually a preview of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also said you look at his life and it's so much about our life as well in so many different ways. You might say, well, like how do we see it's a preview of the person of work of Jesus? Well, I'll tell you there's one big, big difference. Because Joseph suffered involuntarily. Jesus suffered voluntarily. In other words, Joseph was thrown into that pit, right? Right? And he was crying out, and it was like, man, I got muscled, I don't want to be here. But our Lord said, no man has greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. It's like, I know some of you are thinking, wait a second, I mean, how do I know I have this favor? How do I know that I have... This, this robe, if you will, of the Father, this position of His love and forgiveness and hope beyond the grave. How can I like have this assurance that my life is, is not going to break down, but instead the Lord is going to perfect His strength in my life? And that I'm here for divine purposes. Here's how, here's how you can totally know for sure. You look at Jesus. And He was willingly stripped of the Father's robe in His life to ensure that it's on you. Because the Bible says when He was on the cross, He became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And if you look at Jesus like voluntarily laying His life down, paying the debt of our sin, and three days later conquering the grave, and He is alive, and He is coming again. And they say, well, how, do I, how, do I, how can I leave here knowing for sure I have this robe, if you will, of the Father's favor, my sins forgiven, His unconditional love, that He's going to take the injuries and the injustices and the temptations, that He's going to actually work in me and through me, and He's going to give me His life, and that my life is going to be lived to the higher purposes that He's called me to. This is how you know you look at Jesus and you accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And he really is just a prayer away, my friend. And I really believe there are some here tonight where the Lord sovereignly has brought you here to hear this message. You say like, okay, um, I'm kind of getting this. Could you be more clear? Well, let's narrow it here. Number one, recognize what God has done for you. He not only created you and made you, but he's revealed himself to you. Jesus said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believe in and would not perish but have everlasting life. Can I hear a big amen to that? Number two, it's critical you repent. Repent means to change the way you think in the most important area and embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number three, to receive him. He really is just a prayer away. The Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. And then it's critical, listen, to be decisive. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. The Lord loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He wants to robe you in love and forgiveness. Let's pray at this time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, how you have even brought healing and wholeness and blessing and encouragement as we have studied your word that identifies what is right and how to get right stay right and do what's right it's inspired by you and we see you lord you are beautiful and you're wonderful we're amazed lord that you hung blood you gave your life on the cross you cried out in that darkness You bore our sin and shame and the breakdown. And in you, you are creating all things new. And everything is moving towards you. You are the Joseph. You are the Savior. And we honor you and bless you and love you tonight, Lord. And you see these precious ones. Whether that person is 15 or 50 or somewhere in between, that that father, that mother that son, that grandmother. You see them, Lord. You you know who they are. You know their struggles. And you made them to have right relationship, Father, with you in Christ. And I just want to ask, please, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and I want to pray, ask, actually, excuse me, that, the, that our church family would be in the attitude of prayer. And I want you to pray for the people to your right and to your left and behind you and in front of you. Because I believe that there are some here that want to leave here with the absolute assurance that they are robed by the Heavenly Father in Christ. And we've explained what's critical. It's critical to recognize what He's done and to repent and to turn to Him and take your stand for Jesus Christ and to receive Him as Lord and Savior and then to do it right now because He is speaking to you and He's drawing to you and He's works in moments just like this. And if that's you, just while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, you would like to receive Jesus Christ. You'd like to call out to Him tonight by way of prayer and ask Him to come and be your Savior and Lord. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand right now, and I'm going to pray for you. You just slip up your hands so I can say, God bless you and God bless you. Anybody else in the side, in the front, in the middle, God bless you in the back. God bless every one of you. Listen, I, I, I want you to raise your hand. If You're saying, man, that's me. The Lord is speaking to me. This is holy. It's sacred. It's beautiful. The Lord works in moments just like this. Anybody else? You raise up your hand. But listen, I want you to mean... God bless you in the back. I want you to mean it now. Because the Lord hung blood. He gave Himself for you publicly on the cross. God bless you in the back. God bless every one of you. God bless you. and And maybe... You know, tonight you're thinking, Holly, oh, I've strayed from the Lord. I need to recommit. And um, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you as well. You're thinking, I, I've been a prodigal and I just want to return to the Lord. If that's you, you raise your hand. Father, I want to thank you for these precious ones that have raised their hands. And now, Lord, our poise to take a stand for you and receive you as our Lord and Savior. And I want to ask those of you that have raised your hand, I want you to stand up where you're seated because I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. You just stand up where you're seated. I mean, listen, there's something about putting legs to your faith. God bless you, man. There's something about it, you know. Whenever Jesus called people, He always called them publicly. So you raise your hand. You want to receive because God bless you in the back. I see it. There's others. God bless you and God bless you. God bless you and God bless you. Oh, it's so beautiful. Awesome. God bless you. There's something about it. Taking a stand, the Lord honors it. He he rewards it. Anybody else, you you stand up and I'm going to pray with you. God bless you. Listen, those of you who are standing, I want you to pray with me. And this is a prayer to ask Christ to be your Savior, Lord. He'll hear this prayer. He'll honor this prayer. He'll come into your life. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll robe you with the Father's love and favor. How exciting. This is awesome. So you pray this prayer out loud with me. This is a way of asking Christ to come into your life. Be your Savior and be your Lord. Pray with me. Lord Jesus. Just pray it out loud. Lord Jesus. I call upon you now to be my Savior and to be my Lord. I know I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my king. Lead me as your son, as your daughter. Thank you that you hung bled and died on the cross for my sin. I believe it and resurrected on the third day. I call upon you tonight to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for coming into my life. And 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 making me a child of God. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless all of you.